Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today on the Hay Kings podcast, I'm joined by Jeff Esri. Jeff farms near Talos, New Mexico. His county is a bit of a dairy mecca with 58,000 cows and an average milking herd size of 2,400 head. So he's in big dairy country. Jeff farms about 1,500 acres of hay grazer and custom farms and a little bit of alfalfa and millet. Jeff is also a published author and YouTuber. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Tell me about your operation from the beginning. Well, I grew up here on uh, the high plains of eastern New Mexico, uh, what I like to call West Texas. Uh, grew up here on a, a milo and, and, and wheat farm, and that's all. I don't have any uh, brothers. I have one sister. I thought that's what I kind of wanted to do, but then uh, things changed here in eastern New Mexico with the uh, depletion of water and, and such, and but and then the, the falling wheat prices and this and that. I started in hay. In 1996, with my uncle, uh, working with my uncle, then I just fell in love with the hay, the hay industry, the hay. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we got to bale hay at night here, and I just kind of, I liked how it all come together. And you know, I'm cutting hay, and you know, raking hay, and and, and baling hay, and so I started in 1996 with for him, and then after he left and went to Arizona. I just I got a first time farmer guarantee loan, and I had a '79 model Ford pickup. Me and my wife, and that's all we had was a dream, and, and, and we started from there. What did it look like in those early days? Maybe the size of the operation, the workload, the equipment? I started out in little squares the first year, and I started baling green wheat, which what I mean by green wheat is we cut it in the boot stage when it's still green, and then we uh, bail that up, and horse people and ranchers and dairies love it. But anyway, we started baling little bales, we found out, you know, rather quickly that that was a lot of work. And you know, my uncle always—he was one of the first ones to bring a forty-eight hundred big square baler Heston to this country. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I traded my five seventy-five New Holland little square baler for two yeah. old forty-eight hundred square balers, and I took them all apart and <laughs> I put them all together. And then I started farming there, and I started farming alfalfa. We have a lot of dairies in my area. And they range from anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 cow dairies. And uh, so we got a real high demand for forage and hay. And so I started raising alfalfa. We had one circle, and I started raising alfalfa and then baling uh, sorghum sudan grass, which which I call hay grazer. And I started baling that, you know, for all the dairies. And we depleted water here. You know, when I was a kid, we had 800, 1,200-gallon-a-minute wells. And it was only 195 foot deep. And so everybody in the world was pumping like crazy. They're raising peanuts to alfalfa to corn to everything else. And then as I've become an adult, we started depleting our water. And now some places can't even get drinking water for their homes. And so it's kind of depleted down to where all these dairies are still here and they're needing forage. And I started raising alfalfa and it just slowly kind of trickled into doing more and more hay grazer type hay. Uh, you know, I farm 1,500 acres here, you know, in eastern New Mexico, and, and it all goes to hay grazer hay. You know, I started out doing 100% for the dairies and a little bit for the rancher, but mainly all dairy, dairy hay. And, you know, anywhere from hay grazer to, to alfalfa to, to millet to, to whatever I could get to bale. Uh, I do a lot of uh, custom work on top of that. So for dairies and for other farmers that just wanting to uh, get hay their product. And after a while, I started building a great clientele doing that, these uh, dairies here and ranchers. And it just kind of got into where good business for me. 
And then when I went into strictly hay grazer, when we run out of water, well, you know, you know, the rest is history. And we just started doing, you know, all hay grazer and, and then all big squares. In 2018, I bought my first round baler. You know, I grew up with little bales all my life. And then, you know, and big bales were around with my uncle. And I had big balers, you know, throughout most of my life. And then in 18, I bought my first Massey Ferguson round baler, quickly learned it. I don't know nothing about round baling hay. It's just a totally, totally different to me, the aspect of hay baling. You know, I mean, the moisture of the hay and, and all. And I started under ranchers. All these years, I've had ranchers just ask me for hay, and but they want me to do it in round bales. And I just, I told them, I told them that I just don't do round bales. Finally, I just said, well, I'm going to. And, uh, you know, the dairy market kind of crashed here in about the late 2000s. And it, it kind of made it hard to, uh, to get rid of some hay grazers sometimes. So I just said, well, I'll just mm-hmm. go ahead and, and go into round bales. And I started selling to, to ranchers like crazy. And it's just kind of boomed into a uh, do both now. I do round bales and I also I do these big squares to the dairy. And mm-hmm. I probably sell about two-thirds to the dairy market still. And that's nice because I usually sell it to one family dairy and they take it all. And I'm talking, you know, about anywhere from four to 6,000 bales a year. Mm-hmm. And then I have ranchers and goat farmers and sheep people and all that buy one bale a week, uh, 500 bales. And I really like selling to those people and I really like selling to the dairy. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. That market diversity gives you some flexibility. Right? Yes, exactly. And and you know what? The ranchers always need hay in bad times. And the dairies do too. But the dairies, they have standing cattle in their lot. So they have to feed them regardless. But, you know, some of these ranchers really have a need sometimes. And I really like all my customers. And uh, it really has changed our business to where both markets, boy, you know, we have our kids here too. And some of them are, have, have graduated college. Still got our two sons here and that help out. But we have had no hired hands throughout the, the 25 years of I've been farming. And we pretty well do it all. I mean, I do I do all the hay cutting, the hay baling. And my wife rakes hay and she stacks hay and she sells those one bale, five bales uh, mm-hmm. uh, hay Ever, yep. ever, every time we have a, a customer or a, a need, that's how we always, always roll with it. You know, my hay season starts in October, which everybody else is about done. Yeah, say that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the latest I've ever put up hay was this year, the first week in October. Oh, wow. Most people with like their alfalfa and stuff, you know, they're all, all done you know, by first frost. And, and, you know, here, you know, we get about a, the middle of October, you know, is when it freezes. Uh, you're supposed to around here. Our first mm-hmm. breeze. I'm just kind of starting about the first of October, and I'll cut all 1,500 acres. I have some uh, custom work I'll cut, and then I'm done by December. So I'll bail. I'll bail four to six thousand bales in about a three month period. So that's a lot of nights because we bail at night here. I don't do very much alfalfa, but it's really bad when you have to bail the alfalfa at night, and you got the very end of your first cutting Timothy mashing up against your second cutting alfalfa, and Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, that's that's used to be with our, our uh, first cutting of alfalfa in May. We usually right at the tail end or right in the middle of our wheat hay, and you've got to stop that. And customers don't understand that, but you can stop doing the wheat hay, go cut your alfalfa, or you'll get right. off your twenty-eight day uh, cycle. And they just don't understand that you know that comes first is what has to be done. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't do that anymore. You know, we run out of water here. You're all strictly, you know, just all, uh, you know, not irrigated or dry land. We do have some patches of water here and there. And, and there's, a, there's a couple that still try to raise alfalfa and corn. But, uh, you know, you know, the dairies, everything here feeds the dairy. And, and we used mm-hmm. to raise a, a lot of peanuts here. 
and a lot of other other type of crops. But anymore, it's all to feed these dairy, and and that's what I'm. I've been 100 percent from day one. Is mm-hmm. just is just feeding feeding dairies, and and you know, we got a lot of real customers here. Been my success. Take me through this transition on the water side. You were saying that the water wasn't very deep, and you had basically as much as you could pump. When did it start going away, and what was that progression like? Switching away from alfalfa to hay grazer. Well, I used to be all done with my alfalfa, and I'd go right into hay grazer. And the alfalfa used to pay for my way, pay my uh, expenses for my uh, non-irrigated, and then uh, that way my dry land was a hundred percent profit after that. That's the way it used to, you know, it used to work when we had water. Back in the early 70s, you know, my dad started developing his water. They told him he'd have like a 20-year water here. And everybody in the world just, they didn't understand that. We have 800 to 1,200 gallon a minute wells, you know, just one well per pivot, 120-acre pivots. And, you know, and everybody in the world had over-impact heads and, you know, and natural gas was cheap and everybody just, you know, just pumped. And as the years went by, everybody started adding another well. And having to idle back their engines to squeeze them down, and then you know by 1990, you know you've seen a lot of it just start drying up. My dad put in his irrigation in uh, in the early 70s, and it hadn't been watering since uh, 1992. I, I believe the last time those those sprinklers ran, it, it just went into 100% a dryland non-irrigation country. And you know the dairies that moved in here in the the late 80s. You know, we've always had little dairies, but the, the California dairies that moved in here. And yep. uh, it really made a real boom of farming industry here. You know, everything in the world went to the dairies and just a, a great time, really. You know, as our water, those dairies had to go up to Colorado more and go into Kansas to go get alfalfa to bring it in here and just go farther, farther areas. And they actually learned how to feed a cheaper feed for their filler and for their uh, their heifers and their uh, dry cows. They turned to hay grazer. And it, I've got a dairyman that are using hay grazer as their filler for their dairy ration and then they add all the other stuff to it let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor i'm danny juan and and i switched to the premier 604r because i believe this baler is built to last i bail about four thousand bales a year and i think as much money you get for a baler if they need to bail four thousand bales a year even if it's for 10 years they they need to get it done the day i ran it we absolutely had no issues at all it fired up and i bailed like some guy (laughs) It just bailed all day long. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. What kind of nutrient density are we talking about on hay grazer? I'm a northern guy. I, I farm in South Canada. I'm only about 40 miles from the border. I'm a cool season guy, and I don't know anything about that. Well, hay grazer's more like, I call it the bread and the sandwich. It's like probably 8 to 10% of protein, but it's a, a lot of carbohydrates. It's really just the base. You know, It's just a real good cattle feed. It fills them up. It's a filler, but you got to add back the corn solids, uh, the distiller's grain, uh, you know, you have the canola and all that stuff into their, their ration to uh, mm-hmm. uh, to bring back up the protein and all. So they can do this on a cheaper feed hay grazer. And of course, they still use alfalfa also, but uh, they used to just strictly use alfalfa. And it was hard to sell hay grazer at one time, and now you know, some of you know, that's all they'll all they'll use is hay grazer, alfalfa, and little wheat. You know, and and, and they kind of have, have learned to diversify. We get about fourteen to sixteen inches annually of rainfall a year, but this last year we only got two inches after planting season, and it's just been Whoa. yeah, it's it's it really has fall off this last year. So I didn't get much baling time. 
you know, this last year, and it's been kind of hard. You know, we've had droughts before. You know, we had one in in 2011 and 2012 that we only got yep. two, two and a half inches together in both years combined. It really has made the dairies think out of the box uh, when it comes to their feed. I, mean, I built a lot of CRP lovegrass back in the days to give them yeah. some some kind of filler, and and uh, and they really learned that you know they don't have to have. I think the 100% alfalfa and, and, and all this hard-to-raise, high-priced feed to cheapen up their ration. And that's all we're for is to uh, to make our inputs lower. And uh, and hopefully it don't hurt our top end if you want to do that. So anyway, it really has made our hay grazer industry here on our uh, non-irrigated crops. It's kind of helped it out a lot if we can grow. I'm still amazed that you can grow any kind of crop on that rainfall. We're pretty lucky here. I mean, I do full tillage here on my farm. And mm-hmm. a lot of people give me a lot of static for that, but we're so warm in the season. And I, I say that after coming off of a, uh, a negative four below zero uh, uh, low the other night. But we uh, we don't get cold enough, and we're not wet enough, really. I think for no till to work in this country. I mean, it's been it's mm-hmm. been tried before, and it just doesn't doesn't work. We have a, a usually we have a clay bottom and sandy loam top, and it's kind of like a container. And and when I oh, yeah. you know and when we break it up and we usually get our rains in flash floods, so we usually fill oh, up geez. the container with that if we get it all uh, nice and loose, and that way it will store moisture over the summer. And then I usually don't plant until July fourth, and I usually get one cut in a hay grazer, uh, and it's like a ninety day crop. So about October first, it's starting to boot out. So we we start cutting it, and, and it's actually using that old moisture on top of the new moisture to work. Last year, I, I broke the mowboard plow, uh, 850 acres uh, last year, and put a, 10 tons of uh, barnyard manure on it, thinking that it was going to have a, a good year. And we only had benches for the year. I actually got this to store some of that that, that early moisture that I broke on because we had a, a very wet winter for last winter. And then mm-hmm. it just turned off, and, and it just—it's like a, a faucet. It's just—that's just what you learn farming here. I mean, it's happened to us before, and you gotta take the punches. You know, you know like my dad always said, it's—it's it's your country, and we're always, mm-hmm. always, always looking for next year. And you know, if you're ready for it, we'll float it to the next year and and hope for the best. And I'm, I'm hoping that 2021 is. It's better than 2020 has been. You said you were putting on 10 tons of manure. Uh, you're able to haul manure back from the dairies and apply it? Yes. Our dairies, for the most part, are looking for a, an outsource for that uh, somewhere else for it to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, so uh, a lot of times if you're close enough, which I mean, I'm I'm within six miles of, of four big dairies. So that, they usually, usually haul it to you for free. Now, I got to pay for the scrub. But yeah, and we just apply that onto our, our land and then I'll, I'll uh, mow board that under about every five years i like to do that keeps organic matter in there and all sorts of good things all sorts of good things and then you know we try to uh, spread other fertilizer you know like some urea and stuff like that in between those years like i tell a lot of the dairymen and some of them don't believe me but we're all partners in this we're dealt with so i raise their hay they uh, they provide me with milk and cheese and, you know and we feed the world so we're all part of this big happy family and uh, i've got to make sure they stay alive and they got to make sure i stay alive you are of some fame besides farming here. You're an author. You wrote a book called? Uh, yes, yeah, I've written uh, two of them. Matter of fact, I've written uh, the first one was uh, The Republic. The second one was Off the Deck. And I, it's just kind of just a hobby. I try to write uh, still today. Usually it's all in the wintertime. 
I'm just kind of self-published out there, and I'm no no big deal. Just kind of dabble in it. You know, I've got a, a story to tell, and uh, the first one's about Texas seceding from the Union. Some people say that 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 really happened. <laughs> you know, that it's <laughs> it's really getting close. And I'm like, well, I hope my book don't come true. But uh, <laughs> but then again, you know, I mean, it sure could be. And 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 I wrote it to wake people up. And I've sold quite a few books. I wrote that in thirteen, I believe it was. I had it on Amazon for a long time. So I don't have it on there anymore, but I still sell them from time to time. I wanted to ask you about your YouTube channel, too. How'd you get started on that? I've had a channel for several years. I put a few things on there, and my son, you know, he's 18 now, and he kept on pushing me. He said, Dad, I watch all these big farm uh, uh, farming guys, you know, the Wilker Farms and the Millennial Farmer, and, and, and yeah, they watch some of the other, other guys. And they're like, you know, you know, Dad, you can do that. That's stuff that you do all the time. And I was like, well, yeah, I could. So... So I just kind of started about almost a year ago. I just started, you know, I bought me a, a GoPro camera and I just started you know, playing around and I started watching those guys and seeing how they do it. And uh, Bell's Hay down there in uh, Arizona, you know, he has one also. And I just kind of, kind of, you know, started watching those guys and you know, uploading videos. And, and my son said, why don't you do two a week? That's the way, the, you know, that's the way they do it. And I was like, well, okay, well, I'll just, I'll try to, to do it, and I started editing, and 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 you know, and I get better as it goes. But uh, people are intrigued by it, and and you you can find anything from you know shop bills. I just had a uh, uh, I'm just finishing up on a bed build that I'm I'm building for, for one of my old trucks. I rebuilt a, a 4590 inline Heston Baylor a couple of winters ago on there. I completely tore it down and, and rebuilt it. That one there was pretty popular. You know, I do harvest and tillage and a. Even play some golf on there, which I'm I'm no good at golf. But uh, <laughs> but but you know we do it do it all and just just kind of what we're up to on the farm. And I do it for several reasons: uh, educate the people. I mean, you know, of what we do. You know, there's a lot of people that don't know what farming is all about. You know, they think we just sit here and gather up uh, government money. That's you know, you know, how it is. You know, it's 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 just a a job like everybody else's, but it's a job we love. You know, and I might be a welder one day, I might be a, a tractor driver the next, or I might be a, a carpenter. It's just, it's good to educate. It documents my, my history. I'm, you know, I don't have any grandkids as of yet. You know, one of these days, you know, my grandkids can look back on what I do and, uh, and see what Paul did for a living and, you know, and what their roots uh, come from. It's just like authoring a book. It's just something that I'm enjoying. Do you have any lessons or advice for YouTubing? You know, just be truthful. Me, myself, I try to be just as honest and, and transparent as I can be. I mean, I'm trying not to be fake at all. I mean, it's just what we do every day. You know, I've got Instagram, too, and I do uh, quite a few stories on there. And, I mean, it's just, you know, and Snapchat, it's just off the cuff. Just, you know, this is what I'm doing today, you know, and I might time lapse and stuff. Be yourself. Upload videos often from the smallest five-minute uh, videos. You know, I wouldn't go over fifteen to twenty minutes. It seemed like people just lose their attention. You know, after after mm -hmm. so long. You know, if I get one person that watches it, uh, I, I'm happy. I'm educating. You're talking about your boys here. What's your view on them coming back to the farm or staying on the farm, coming back to the farm? Take me through your thought process on that. Well, I've got two older girls, and they're all out of college. And uh, one of them is a, a is an ag grad. Uh, you know, she does ag, ag communication, so she's involved in ag, and I'm proud of that. And my other daughter, you know, she works for a college. She's not in ag. But my oldest boy is not really into the agricultural field very much. He's more into computers. 
But my youngest mm-hmm. son, he's 15, and he helps me in the shop every day. He helps me with you know with loaders, and and he don't he, he doesn't load hay very often. But he he's getting to the point where he's wanting to, and he's wanting to to uh, to plow a lot more. You know, I see him helping me a lot. Uh, I don't know what he's uh, going to do after college. I mean, I, I always tell all my kids to to, to get an education first. And you can always come back to the farm, and I'm hoping that that's what they do. And 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 I'm hoping that my my youngest son is really wanting to explore farming, and I'd I'd like to see him him do that someday, maybe if he wants to. You got to want to do this for a living, and as you know, John, you don't get rich doing this. It's just a lifestyle. A good place to uh, to raise your kids. And that's all, all all it's about. That's all, all me and my wife are driven to do is just raise our kids in a good atmosphere. Thank you, Jeff, for your time. This has been a, a great conversation. I think a lot of folks are going to learn quite a bit about your dry region and farming in such a dairy-heavy area. Very interesting. Well, thank you, John Paul. I appreciate you having me on. I enjoy the podcast and listening to them all. They're, they're great. <laughs>